This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. My feeling is that analytics is just a modern version of the term critical thinking. It just happens to be data-backed. Welcome to the Data Career Podcast, the podcast that helps aspiring data professionals land their next data job. Here's your host, Avery Smith. This is the Data Career Podcast. I'm your host, Avery Smith, and welcome back, Data Heroes, to another episode. And I'm very excited for this episode because it's with my good friend, Matt Bratton. If you guys have not checked him out on social media, you need to. I really love his videos. I love his way of teaching. And overall, he's just a good, solid guy. We're going to be talking about Excel. Excel, don't tune out, right? It's not boring. It's actually cool. And Matt taught me a lot about how to use Excel. In fact, I'm like, crap, I know nothing about Excel. And Matt really helped me realize that, man, I have a lot more to learn about Excel. And I'm sure you guys could learn more about Excel too. You're going to get helpful tips on shortcuts you could use inside of Excel. What are some cool things that you can do in Excel that are really easy that you don't even have to like spend that much time learning? And also why Excel really matters. And one of the things I really like about Matt is he's a great example of only using one data tool in his whole career. He's in the C-suite of the data world, basically, right? This guy has made it to the top of the top of the data positions that you basically can, and he uses Excel. No Python, not really Tableau, you know, no R. He just uses Excel. And so don't be confused that you have to learn a hundred different things. You don't. Matt's the Excel guy. He uses Excel. You could just use Excel in your career. And we'll talk about why that might be a good or a bad idea in this episode. I think you're going to really enjoy it. As always, thanks for listening and let's hop into the episode. Well, welcome you guys to another episode of the Data Career Podcast. I'm your host, Avery Smith. And today we're going to be talking about mastering data analytics in Excel. Before we get into it, I want to introduce my guest, Matt Bratton. I have such a hard time saying your name, Matt, because I have an uncle who is Matt Brinton, which is like- Oh, no way. Yeah, pretty close. I always have a hard time uh, saying your name. But if you guys haven't met Matt before, he is the founder of TMB Analytics. He talks about all things Excel. He has an awesome LinkedIn, awesome TikTok where he talks about Excel tips. He's currently the chief financial officer at Apollos, but he's done a lot of really senior data, FP&A, financial planning and analysis that we'll get into in this podcast. But overall, a great person to follow on LinkedIn and on TikTok and other social medias. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. It's it's great to be here. I love getting to watch you do this with other folks. So the fact that you'd have me on here to talk to me yourself is an honor. So I appreciate it. Hey, I, I appreciate you. Matt's currently doing something really cool called the Excel for Academy. You guys got to check this out. It's something really cool. So you can check out his website as we're going through this podcast or after the show. Okay, perfect, Matt. Stoked to have you on. Talk about all things Excel. I'm a big fan of Excel in some ways, and I'm not a big fan of Excel in other ways. I recognize that it's very valuable. It's very important, especially when you're first trying to break into data analytics. I unfortunately haven't used it that much in my career, but I wanted to ask you as the Excel king, why does Excel rock? Why do you like Excel? Oh my goodness. 
Yeah, no, it's a valid question, especially folks who are really deep into data. You know, I think it's easy to look past Excel, but the way that I tend to think about it is Excel at the end of the day has a tendency in most businesses to be that interface between areas of the business, like between you and a stakeholder. So when you think about shareability of content, you think of presentation accessibility and just accessibility in general, Excel is everywhere. As far as I can tell, isn't really going anywhere anytime soon. And I know that that bothers a lot of people and that's okay. That's okay. I, I think Excel will be okay. And so just having that kind of a tool that is so widely capable of doing so many things that can reach so many audiences just by double clicking the mouse. I think that it's an awesome tool that can do a lot. So yeah, it, it makes sense that it carries as much weight as it does in, in the workplace. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's where Excel really shines is the idea of democratizing data and democratizing data analytics, because, you know, most people who are working are probably going to have Excel on their computer. And so, you know, download it almost yep. by default. And so by default, you have a tool that can do data analytics and it can really be like you kind of said, like the middleman from the business perspective to the analytics side. And it's almost like a gateway drug into all things data analytics. I think, I don't know about you. I, I was about to say, yeah, it's a gateway drug to almost like logic in a way and working with data. That's the way that I would compare it. I've, you know, I've got a series on my YouTube channel where I go through the Google data analytics professional certificate. And I just, I actually worked through that program when it came out a couple of years back. And when I got to the, the Python, uh, not the Python, the, the R section, I had never touched R in my life. Uh -huh. And I think I was one question shy of passing the test. And that was 100% based on understanding logic and basic syntax from using Excel. So like, there's a lot of translatable skills when you step back and think about how to work through logical expressions and queries that you can execute in Excel and how that works in other environments. I think it's very valuable skill set as a baseline. So that's, yeah, hundred percent gateway drug all the way. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. Like you said, like it gives you like a base understanding of this is data. This is the type of analytics that we can do with it. Like these are the type of things that we can do. This is like the vocabulary or the words that we use in the data world. This is what syntax looks like, you know, formulas and stuff like that. And you're right that like it will introduce you into things that you might see in R, you might see in SQL, or you might see in Python, at least the concepts. And once you learn them in Excel, you're probably more likely to learn them easier as you continue throughout your data career. And it's not my favorite tool of all time. We're going to talk about how you can convince me maybe that it might be someday. <laughs> but even with that being said, and really what I mean by it's not my favorite tool is I mean is I'm not very good at it. That's what I actually mean. Yeah, it. no, it's fine. I mean, it can't be everybody's favorite, right? So it has a role and it has a role that some people will interact with and some people will not and some people will favor and some people will not. And that's fine. That's okay. It doesn't have to be, you know, loved and adored by all. And even if I don't love it, it's actually what I've come to learn to teach first in my bootcamp. So when I first started mm -hmm. teaching people online, I didn't really touch much on Excel. I started with like Google Data Studio or Python or so, I don't mm -hmm. know, uh, SQL or something like that. But now that I've been doing this, you know, full time for like three years now, I've actually realized starting with Excel is the first thing that we should do. And so that's why in the bootcamp right now that I'm running the first project, the first skills we learn are in Excel because it is so 
accessible. And when you're on a data journey, momentum is everything. And so you need to make sure that you get quick wins. And I think for most people listening, they've used Excel before, they've touched it, they know what it is, they have it downloaded. And so once they learn a thing or two, they can kind of take off and build the momentum, kind of, I guess, get deeper and deeper into the drugs to keep that analogy going. And in the most positive way, though. <laughs> Don't do drugs, kids. Sorry. Don't do drugs. Matt and I do not endorse the use of drugs, but data drugs are okay. Let's talk about Excel. What are like some things that like, if someone's listening and they're like, yeah, I've used Excel before, but maybe they haven't really used it for data analysis necessarily. What are like five key concepts we can take them one by one that you think someone should know in Excel? Like, Get into Excel data, data analytics. What should I know? Yeah, I think you should you should respect the fact that it is a tool without a lot of guardrails. And I think this is one of the the curses of Excel. When you have such a widely accessible tool, you also have a lot of people who have access to a tool that you can do a lot of things and you can mess up a lot of things. You can also do some really great things, but you have to respect the tool. And so I think with that as a theme, the the sorts of things that I would want to, you know, call out, you said like five, call out five. Yeah, things. I don't know. What, whatever yeah. you feel like is necessary. Yeah. The first one I'm just going to say is tables, data tables. So the idea that you can take a data set and convert it to a data table, a proper table, where you've got a syntax naming convention that could be called on that is, will make a lot more sense to users. Can I ask oh. you a question with the data table thing? Yeah, yeah. Like when you say like a data set versus a data table, like what are the differences? Like like column names, is that what you're saying or what? No, so like there's, there's this functionality within Excel where you can, I'll call it declare a proper table. So uh -huh. let's say you've got just this raw data, you export a CSV, it's gonna uh -huh. give you some piece of crap pile of data. Uh -huh. And it's completely just, I'll call it unstructured, even if it is coming across, like it looks like a table uh -huh. in a conventional sense, you can convert that to a data table, which is a concept within Excel. And what that does is gives you an opportunity to give that table a name. Mm -hmm. And then your columns become references within that table that you can use uh -huh. the, the syntax to call on that table when you're writing queries. It has a lot of other benefits as far as like speed of application of different functions. And it can be referenced when you're using, you know, pivot tables, they're automatically generated when you're using power query. So it's a really powerful addition that can be, you know, all you got to do is hit control T from anywhere within a data set and it will convert it to a data table. And then you have all of this additional functionality just right there immediately for you to start building on. So that was going to be my thing. Number one, especially if you're talking to someone who's used to dealing with structured or even unstructured data, but when you're referencing tables, that's a concept. I think that's fairly universal. So that would be my thing. Number one is like, start thinking about how you can I'll say formalize the, the structure of your data and, and set it up in a way that it makes it just easier to work with. So tables would be my thing, thing number one. I had no idea that, I mean, so basically what you're saying is like, if you do a pivot table on a different sheet, instead of like referencing sheet one, you know, column B, Z through, I don't know, C, D, row, yeah. whatever. Like you could just say like, no, go to this table. And it's like these rows and these columns by the column yeah. names instead of like a table B, B, B. reference table, whatever name you declare for it. So if you want to, you want to call it volume data, volume underscore data, you can make a pivot off of that. 
And then when the table expands or contracts or changes, it's still calling the same table. And that's one of the benefits for continuity purposes. If you've got, again, that power query functionality, if it's going to be retrieving that data from another source, you're always connected and hooked up to the latest and greatest thing. Where I think in my early days in Excel, pre-understanding data tables, a very common issue that you'd run into would be formula references or overall just uh, referencing of data that was not structured in, within the confines of a table. So there's value in understanding that and getting to practice its benefits very quickly. That's why I put that at thing number one. Thing number two, I, I'm going to kind of jump into a couple of functions that I think are, are of immense value for folks. So you, you need a trusty method or mechanism to look up cross tables or cross data sets. So I'm going to just go with XLOOKUP, kind of the, the new universal standard, which is it gives you the ability to do anything that index match or X or H lookup or V lookup, or depending on who you're talking to look up the, the OG, it, it gives you the ability to do an, an index and reference back from one table to another or one value to a table or set of values, hugely valuable and a universal concept as far as doing lookups and joins and things like that. Yeah. That's really key because in Excel, you do have like the sheets being separate right and you want to be able to join them one way or another so having those lookups are really key so that makes sense i yep. agree with that one as well okay number yep. three number three i think you need some way to aggregate certain data so maybe this is a two for one but like i would say some ifs and count if having the ability to sum data using specific criteria i always default to some ifs or ifs or whatever people want to call it i call it some ifs and count ifs which is a single syntax that you need to know that allows multiple criteria. They have some if and count if, but I never advocate learning those at this point because of the existence of the IFS option where you can go from one criteria to nearly as many as you could possibly want. So hugely valuable there to be able to do those kinds of aggregations. So that would be, what am I, number three, something like that, or four? Yeah, that's three. I like that yeah, one. Three. You got to have aggregation. So that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, the the ifs on both of those are really key because I, I know in the past, writing those complex aggregations with multiple ifs was a pain in the butt. So the, yeah. the S on the new function there makes it really nice. That makes sense. Yeah. All right, number four. Big. Number four, I'm going to give a nod to a new function that, when I first heard about it or saw it, I thought it was kind of stupid, but it's won me over just with it's the really cool things that you can do with it, but it's the filter function. It's a dynamic array function where you can reference a, a table or a, a set of data, and then you can set specific criteria, specific methods or means by which you want the, the data to be reflected on a summary or a filter, if you will. And the way that I kind of characterize this to people is it's almost a, a modern twist on the pivot table where, you know, you don't have to go and click the refresh button and you can structure it the way that you kind of more or less want to without getting super clunky and cumbersome like a pivot table has a tendency to be. So the filter function, it's a newer function. And I think the more you use it and the more you research what it's capable of, the more opportunity you might find in, in using it and getting some utility out of it. Sweet. I don't know if I've ever used that one off the top of my head. So I got to get off this call and go test that one out. So <laughs> yep. thanks for that one. That's a great one. Last one. Yep. 
last one is just because it's native functionality and, and I'll probably get crap if I don't say it, Power Query, knowing Power Query, understanding just how powerful it can be to really boosting your ability to get things done. Back in the day, I did a lot of VBA for automating and, and trying to get certain processes into more or less a production situation where now through Power Query, you've got this built-in means and interface for you know, retrieving data and then manipulating data and then presenting that data in a way that you can bolt on custom front-end just interface <laughs> views for your stakeholders. And it's just, it's all done at the push of a button. Once you get it set up and into production, you don't have to learn to, to code VBA for most of this stuff. And it's great. So I would say that that one may actually need to move to number one, but I think we kind of worked through there. So tables, like aggregations, lookup, filtering, and Power Query, that would be my, my top five off the top of my head. I like the top five and thanks for letting us put you uh, on the spot. And I, I agree with the power query. It's like kind of putting the Excel aspect on, on steroids, which a lot of people maybe don't think that Excel is that powerful. And I think the power query is kind of yeah. like the, the beef behind everything. One thing you mentioned that I just wanted to check in with. So I, I don't know if you know much about my background. I went to school for engineering, chemical engineering. When I was at school for chemical engineering, we as engineers, have to solve math problems. And some of those math problems are more complicated than others. So originally when I started studying, we were doing a lot of things in MATLAB, which is kind of like this engineering programming language and VBA. And I hated VBA and I really liked MATLAB. And so I kind of always steered away from VBA. And then I went to Exxon Mobil, you know, huge manufacturing company, kind of old fashioned. They love VBA. I just wanted mm -hmm. to check in with you. Is VBA dead? What's your opinion on that? I can't say that yet. But I will say, like, based on everything that I'm seeing, like that Microsoft itself is doing, it's almost like they're trying to kill it in a way. They're not trying to save it is what I would say. It still has some that like I still will do various things just because it's right there and it's easy to do. Like if I'm building a file for somebody who wants to generate a report and I don't want them to get in and mess something up. I'll put a little button or something like that on it for them to just not have to think and just go, Hey, refresh here. And it refresh, you push a button that's VBA, right? I mean, there's ways that you can use it, but you know, with the whole power automate suite and a lot of other things that Microsoft is trying to do to get more modern, the introduction of Python now within Excel, it's moving in the direction that I, I question the longevity of VBA. I don't want to say it's dead, but I don't teach it. So that's my two cents. Okay. Yeah. That does make sense. So Microsoft might be killing its own baby. That's a little grim. <laughs> Have you tried much with the Python in, in, in Excel? What are your thoughts on that? I haven't looked at it. I know that, you know, a lot of the, the MVPs have been pretty hot to trot and stay on top of that as the, the new sexy thing. I could say I have strong opinions on it, but I don't know that they're actually that strong at the end of the day, because I can always be convinced otherwise. But the way I see it is Users of Excel have enough problems as it is working their way up the learning curve as far as what it, the tool is capable of. Yeah. You go in and you add something like this, which sounds cool. And it's like, I think any, maybe I'm wrong, but anyone who uses Python is going to want to use Python the way that they use Python. And if they use Excel, they're going to want to use Excel and the, the need to mash them together. 
I'm not yet convinced. I do think that there are going to be use cases. There's going to be people who just freaking fall in love with it. And that's great. I don't know that I will be one of those people, but I'm here for it. I'm here to see what comes of it, but I'm not officially on the train just yet. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And that's kind of what in this previous episode, uh, I think episode 78, if you guys want to go listen, you know, Leon is a Microsoft MVP and mentioned, you know, I was kind of saying, I'm not really super into it. And he was like, well, look at it this way. You are giving people the opportunity to learn Python in an easier way than they might have previously had, you know, and it's like, for instance, at Exxon, it was a pain in the butt to download Python, just like through cybersecurity and everything. And now maybe that process is a little bit easier, but I'm with you. I'm not totally sold yet. So we'll see what happens. I think the use cases will reveal themselves. And that might be a perfect example of where Python starts to infiltrate the building, so to speak. Yeah, we'll have to keep an eye out for it. I want to talk about something that I think you're kind of TikTok famous for, and that is different Excel shortcuts. And I, oh, I'm going to wow. be honest, I don't know how you keep all of these Excel shortcuts straight. I don't know if you just have it in your head or what, what you got, but like, tell us about Excel shortcuts, why you think they're useful, and then maybe one or two of your favorites and how you remember all of them, because you got a lot of them. I know that's for sure. Yeah, I think I remember a lot more than I should. So <laughs> that's that's a thing uh, I need to work through. So at one point, I actually put this guy together. I've got this guide. So if, if you guys are actually listening right now, so you don't see me holding this up, but I'm going to pretend like you do. I've got this Excel for Professionals, More Ultimate Guide. And it's got a list of my, I would say, my favorite shortcuts. There's probably like 70 or so, 80 of them. 70 in shortcuts? Yeah, but there's a, there's so many. There's so many shortcuts out there. And really, at the end of the day, like the way this all started for me was I was I was in a, a work situation where I just was surrounded by people who were living in Excel and they were using it and they were using it quickly. And when I would try to like watch these people, I couldn't keep up just because I didn't know what they were doing. But it, it was exciting. Like I wanted that. I wanted to be able to do that. And there's, you know, some companies have a kind of up or out attitude around the way that people work. I felt like I was in an environment where it's like, okay, if I don't rise to this occasion, I'm going to be out. I can't be screwing around with a mouse because it's just, it's too slow. Like, I don't care who out in the universe thinks that they're fast enough with a mouse to keep up with most businesses where speed is the need but you're wrong. I regret to inform you. But with that said, I think that it's definitely a use case by use case basis. Maybe you're in a company where that's not a thing and that's great. Do what works for you. For me, not having to rely on the mouse and using shortcuts is just the way that I kind of came up. And I feel like I am wildly more productive when I don't have to stop, readjust my hands, click around, do any of that. So I fell in love with shortcuts from the moment I saw people operating with it because it's like, you think about when you type and you, you type usually as quick as you can think or not, not quite as quick, but I see it the same way. It's like, I can think about what I want and I can make it happen immediately. And if you can't keep up with your thoughts, then you're going too slow, right? So that's my philosophy on it. How I remember them is just by virtue of using them. It's very deliberate practice. And there's no point in memorizing a bunch of crap if you're not going to use it. So if you find yourself, you know, doing a lot of copying and pasting, start there. Control C, Control V. And then you start to learn like, well, wait a minute. 
when you copy, you actually copy a lot of really interesting information. You copy the values, you copy the formats, you copy the column widths, you copy, you know, et cetera. You can selectively paste some of those things. Like maybe I only want to paste the formats or the formulas or the values. You can do any of those things. And if you can do it through clicking the ribbon, you can do it through shortcuts. And you just have to hit Alt. You see all the selection options and you just follow the keystrokes. That's the way I teach. There's a lot of shortcuts that start with a control and it may be one or two keystrokes faster, but I find it, it's less intuitive. So the way that I like to teach is by following the ribbon path. At least that's my, my gateway to gateway drug to using shortcuts is following the ribbon path through alt and a sequence of keys that'll take you throughout the ribbon and execute on something. So there's gotta be a need. You gotta practice deliberately. This is all stuff I go into in the Excel 4 Academy. There's an impact module. And the first module is the speed section where it gets into learning shortcuts and getting in that repetition so that it, it starts to get in formed into muscle memory and you can fly from there. That makes sense. I want to make sure that, that I and the audience understood something you said. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, uh, I hope I'm not outing you here as a social media Excel star, but sometimes <laughs> I watch your videos and your, I'm going to be honest, your shortcuts sound too complicated for me. Cause yeah. I also have to mention that I have like, I struggle with a carpal tunnel. And so I have like this crazy keyboard where it doesn't have like, I get to set where the alt is and I don't really use alt that much. And so I don't really remember where alt is. And so I yeah. get nervous when I watch your videos because I'm like, man, I don't know where the alt is. And, and it's, it's, it's always alt plus like five or not five other keys. It's probably like <laughs> alt plus two other keys, but it feels like five other keys. But I think what you, what you're saying there is if you hit alt, it will like bring up the little overlay options on the ribbon. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah. And it'll, it'll tell you what to hit next. So you just, you can start as slow as you need to. And you just take your time. You see it. If there's a, if there's a thing that you regularly click and hit on the ribbon, even better if you turn it into a custom button, because then you have a new shortcut that you can hit because it, it, it changes the, the layout of the ribbon. Therefore it offers up a new shortcut. There's a lot of ways to do it. And yes, some of them, like I have the longest one that I have ever shown is what I call my long shortcut. And it's Alt H F D S K. And basically all that's doing is going to the home tab. It goes to find go to special blanks. So it goes like two places in the ribbon, two layers down, and then it selects a, a module, but they're usually not longer than that. That one's the most obnoxious one that I do. So, okay. So that's really cool. So it's like alt is basically opening the path for you to use your eyes and just use your keyboard as your mouse instead of and see, that's exactly. kind of what I was thinking is you kind of just had this like whole thing, you know, memorize it. Maybe you do out of practice now, but I was like, yeah. man, I'm never going to remember that alt five, four, three, two, one is like, does this, <laughs> but what you're saying is I can visually see it. Yeah. Um, it's right there. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I'm more into the shortcuts now. So hopefully everyone else learned something. Cause I definitely did there. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I like the idea of shortcuts. Now I can get behind it. Good. Okay, cool. Let's talk about what Excel can and can't do. Can I make a dashboard in Excel? Absolutely. There's a guy, his name, he goes by Big Excel Energy on TikTok. Josh is his name. He does some amazing dashboarding in Excel. If you guys aren't following that guy, you need to go check him out. He's somewhat, he's less active on LinkedIn, but he's around. But yeah, there's, you can do some pretty awesome dashboarding. My dashboarding is pretty basic. 
mostly because I've been burned enough by stakeholders and my enthusiasm is rarely as received as I imagine it to be. I've kind of gone through that arc and learning curve where you're really excited, you want to show off some sexy stuff, but at the end of the day, if the data doesn't do what it needs to do, nobody gives a crap. <laughs> so I try to keep it a little bit more simple these days, but yes, 100% it can dashboard. Okay. Yeah. He came up on my For You page the other day. He makes like really visual our dashboards, which are crazy to make in Excel. And yeah, I agree. Because as a data analyst, for example, your job is not to make dashboards. Your job is to create insights from data that helps push a business or organization forward. And so we don't want to be creating overly beautiful dashboards, especially if they don't lead to more value, whether that's saving time, saving money, saving lives, whatever the value is. Like a lot of time aesthetics won't get you there. Sometimes aesthetics will get you more use of the tool, but it really just depends. Okay. So we can create dashboards in Excel. Yep. Do you do like any sort of statistics, like hypothesis testing or like machine learning, linear regression stuff in Excel or not really? I don't, I've been doing this 19 years and no, I've never done that, but you can, I would turn to somebody like David Langler, who always comes to mind. He's That's who I was freaking awesome. In fact, in the whole Python discussion, he's kind of the man, as far as I'm concerned with a lot of those use cases, I think he was involved in some of those early discussions and planning, but yes, you can do that stuff. I do not, nor has anyone on any of my teams done a lot of that stuff. I think part of the reason is companies that are interested in that level of precision insight testing, they're usually dealing with much larger data sets, much deeper implications. So they've got more resources, they've got different teams, they've got a lot of different things where they can invest in the, the bigger, sexier tools. That doesn't mean it doesn't have a place in Excel. I've always viewed Excel as sort of like a 3D printer when it comes to analytics. It's like rapid prototyping. And if you do something and it's like, hey, this thing's got legs, then you can talk about productionizing it and figuring out the most efficient and appropriate way to put that out into the universe, right? So yeah, it can. Should it? Eh, depends. I, I like that. I think that's really worth listening to. I also want to highlight something, you know, really important to listeners. You know, Matt, you've been literally VP of analytics. You've been in the C-suite. You've been, you know, a very senior person in the data financial planning analysis world. Like you've done a lot in your, like you said, 19 year career. And like the idea that you don't have to be doing that type of stuff to be a great analyst, I think is really important, right? Because I, I have to like draw people away from machine learning every single day. Cause it's just looks so sexy, but it's like, it's going to take you a long time to get there. And guess what? You could get paid a lot more work from home a lot more, a lot faster. If you just use alt control HVT, like Matt does and, <laughs> and become an Excel guru, right? Oh my God. Yeah. No. And I mean, this is kind of a, a softball layup to what I teach in the Excel for Academy, which just launched yesterday. But the whole idea is. God, I used an analogy. I just had this Excel career bootcamp, which is available on YouTube for free for the next week or so. But I talked about the, the scene in Thor Ragnarok, where I don't know if you guys have seen it. I'm not a Marvel nerd, so I'm probably going to mess it up. But there's this scene where he's fighting his sister, Hela, and she kind of mocks him and says, what were you the God of again? And he flashes, has this moment where he's in a field with his father, Odin, and he falls in front of his father and says, I can't beat her. She's too strong. I can't beat her without my hammer. And Odin says, like, are you Thor, the god of hammers? You know, the hammer was never your source of strength. Like, it was meant for you to channel your energy. 
And I, as cheesy as it sounds, like that's the analogy I use with Excel is like, you are the one with the power. It's not about the tool. It's about the way that you harness it to accomplish something. And the whole teaching, the whole premise is that if you can be fast and efficient, then that paves the way for you to get your work done faster and in a very clean way that it, it frees up time for you to work on more impactful things. Understanding business impact is paramount if you want to move up. And so the whole premise of the academy is clearing the path so that you can work on those higher value added things and recognize those. So yeah, it, shortcuts are a part of it, but also being accurate and then knowing when it's time to pull the plug on something and put it into production so that you can stand on top of that as a foundation and do more and focus on something that's more value add. So I have very strong opinions and feelings on a lot of this stuff, but yeah, you can go really far if your focus is impact and on you and less on the tool and all these sexy siren song techniques and stuff. I, I like it. I, I think that's really important to, to keep in mind. Very important. I, I do want to ask, so if you're not creating the sexiest dashboards or you're not doing, you know, neural nets in Excel, what does the guy like you in your career, what does it look like? What are you doing in Excel? Because I know you've been part of this FP and A, which is a phrase I have always have trouble saying that's financial yeah. planning and analysis. What does a career look like in FP and A and is it always analytics? -y? Like, does it occasionally get D or are you always kind of using analytics? If you don't, don't mind sharing again, I'm, I'm going to get into my own little soapbox here, but my feeling is that analytics is just a modern version of the term critical thinking. It just happens to be data backed and in, in a world where data is more prevalent, more accessible you know, the analytical component is going to become more and more important for any job out in the universe. I believe that FP&A, financial planning and analytics is a wonderful career path for anybody, anybody. And the reason I think that is because if you understand the financial implications of decision-making in business, then you understand the business and the business model and how a business makes money. I always tell people the first thing you need to do when you get into a business is understand the business model. How do you make money? If you can understand that, you have a, a very powerful perspective on everything that happens within that business. What are we paying to acquire a customer and what is the value of every customer that comes through the door? What are we doing with those customers? Are we doing anything to grow those dollars that they give us? Are we doing anything to not grow the costs that it takes to service those customers. Understanding the basics like that, I think gives you so much power and a, a valuable perspective over the work that you do. So financial planning and analytics, depending on the size of the organization, that could be two separate functions where it's like, we are the planners, we do budgets and forecasts and more financial statement-y stuff. And then the analytics functions a little bit more ad hoc, a little bit more predictive, a little bit more, you know, hey, go help marketing do this or go help the devs figure this out. But then the smaller the organization, the more those two things come together and you start to see people who get exposure to a ton of stuff. So what does a financial analyst do? Depends on the company, but in general, they're probably going to be involved in tracking of revenue actions, tracking of expenses, understanding how expenses flow through an organization, how revenue dollars come in the business. And then ultimately what hits the bottom line. And then the higher you go in that kind of trajectory, the more oversight you have over those processes to the point you could even manage your own PL 
uh, or mostly an L because it's a cost center in, in a sense. On my day-to-day -day, and because the size of my team, you know, I'm dealing in budgets and those kinds of financial spreadsheets and helping create aggregations and, and guide my financial analysts and my analysts to make impactful schedules that we can work with stakeholders through and talk through the implications of the business. So it's analytic-y or whatever you called it, but there's dollars associated with it. And my feeling is that it doesn't matter if it's dollars or if it's data, it's, it's all data. They just have different meaning, right? Whether it's a dollar or a unit, doesn't matter. So it's all, it's all data at the end of the day. That's awesome. I think that was a really good explanation. And most people on your team, like, are there titles financial analyst or like what would be a typical person on your teams? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good question. Cause you know, I've run very large teams and I've run ragtag teams. Like I've got now, so I've got staff accountant, financial analyst, data analyst, you know, HR, <laughs> other things that are, that are under um, office manager, that kind of stuff. But a larger team, I've seen structures where you've got a, a director or a VP of FP&A or finance, or even just a director of analytics. And then under them, they're going to have data analysts, usually of varying levels. There could be a lot of times you'll have like senior or principal analyst that's kind of like a manager level that doesn't have any direct report. It just depends on the size of the organization and the, the spectrum for which they cover. Also, if it's like a very decentralized uh, organizational structure where you've got analysts all, all over the organization, who do those people report to? But in general, yeah, it's going to be a pretty classic hierarchy where you've got directors, managers, potentially VPs at the top, maybe not, and analysts, both senior and junior, et cetera. Sweet. That's awesome. Very cool. I, I just haven't, you know, had much exposure to the FP&A world. I think because I really worked at a teeny tiny company with like 12 people, where the point where I don't think we were ever really making that much money. And so I don't think there was very much analysis to do other than how much money we were really losing, which was probably pretty easy. <laughs> just look at the credit card bills. Um, oh boy. Yep. Yeah. And they're doing great now, by the way, they were just really early anyways. And then I worked for Exxon Mobil where it's like huge corporate corporation where they have like a whole like financing financial, like department probably that like I, in my role wouldn't really have touched because I was more on the manufacturing side versus the business side. Anyways, I really appreciate that lesson in FP and I think I learned a lot and I think our listeners will as well. I really appreciate you bringing into light, you know, this, this career that people can have, you know, in FP&A. The idea of, of you can become a data analyst just with Excel, like that's totally possible. And you could spend, you know, a lot of your career just using Excel. That's totally an option as well. And then also enlightening me on maybe how I can improve in Excel and actually try some of the shortcuts you put out on social media. I'm, I'm excited to, to test some of that out. Yeah, that's great. There's no shortage of things to learn. I'm learning every day. So that's part of the fun. Okay, sweet. We'll end with this. Uh, this is a question I try to ask most of the people, you know, that come come on the show in general is what advice would you give to someone who's just starting their career in analytics? What would be like maybe, I don't know, a few sentences that you'd give them? Make sure that you understand the business model of the business that you've joined. And so that boils down to like, do you know how this company makes money? Like make sure that you can answer that question and you can answer it with confidence. Uh, there's a great book called The Goal. It's a little old, but it's a classic and I have it on my shelf right over here. And it, it's all about like the overarching goal or objective of every business. It kind of speaks to that theme. So make sure that you understand how a profit is made and 
always keep in mind the financial implication of the work that you're doing and know, for better or worse, that the more dollars involved, the more that the work that you're doing is going to be paid attention to. So always be looking for ways to make a big impact and taking on challenges where maybe people are, are running away from the action. I think there's probably a better way to say that. The big projects, the ones that get you noticed, are not served up like just normal work. No one's going to walk by your desk and drop, hey, I've got this big, sexy project for you on your desk. You're going to hear people talking or asking questions or saying things like, why can't we see this? Or I wish that we could see that. And if you hear that, that's a cue that there's a challenge or a problem that needs to be solved. And if you take the initiative to try to solve those problems, that's a way to get on someone's radar real quick. Man, if you give a mouse a cookie action and your career could catapult at that point, because people see you as someone who, who gets it, you want to be in that group. You want to be in the group that gets it and wants to make an impact. I love that. I think that's great advice. Those unofficial projects are the ones that usually get the most stuff done and also get you the most recognition. So Matt, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show. We'll have all of Matt's links down below in the show notes where you can access his different social medias as well as his website. If you guys found lots of value like I did from Matt today, where I learned about making a table in Excel, which sounds like the most basic <laughs> of basic things and shortcuts. If you enjoyed that and you learned from that, I'm sure that you will enjoy uh, the program there. Matt, anything to add to that? No, man, this is great. I really appreciate you and, and giving me the opportunity to come and, and chat. And I appreciate everybody who stuck around and listened. And, and this was fun. You know where to find me on LinkedIn if you want to chat. Thank you guys for listening and have a great day. right, data heroes, raise your virtual hand if you learned something new about Excel in this episode. I know I did. I learned a lot and hopefully you did as well. If you guys want to learn more about Matt or about Excel, we have links in the show notes or the description that will help you learn more about Matt. And of course, down there, you'll see my links as well. Connect with me on different social medias and make sure you're signed up for my newsletter as well. Thank you guys for listening and I'll see you guys in another episode.